helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. I want to thank you for joining us in this episode of the Life Transformation Show. Today's show is titled, Understanding Atheists, The Real Reason They Reject God. Have you ever wondered why some atheistic thinkers not only don't believe in God, but seem to have a passionate hatred for God and anything that is faith-related? While it is one thing to believe that God doesn't exist, it is a totally different thing when an atheist ridicule others who believe in God and make it their life's passion to expose reasons against the existence of God. Psychologists using the attachment theory and exploring known information about the childhood of famous atheists have been able to identify psychological factors that drive atheistic thinking. The findings, in a nutshell, show that atheists are more likely to fall into the category of attachment known as insecure attachment, which simply means that many atheists had suffered abandonment or psychological abuse at the hands of their earthly father. Their anger against God and against those who believe in him seems to be rooted in their unresolved anger against their earthly fathers. As we examine the lives of famous atheistic thinkers such as Richard Dawkins, Frederick Nietzsche, Bertrand Russell, Sigmund Freud, and H.G. Wells, we will show that these men all had religious upbringings in family in which their father was either absent, neglectful, or abusive. In addition, as we go through this show today, we will show that these men had been exposed to religion in ways that made it burdensome and unattractive. It is not surprising then that given these negative experiences with their fathers and their negative religious experience during their childhood, that these men would turn against the faith of their parents and argue against the existence of a caring God. In this podcast, Understanding Atheists, The Real Reason They Reject God, we will briefly explore the lives of each of these famous atheists, showing the nature of their religious upbringing, exposing their childhood emotional wounds, and explore reasons why they reject the concept of a loving God. And you may be asking yourself, why are we doing a show on atheists? Well, I believe that Understanding these principles that are going to be covered in this show today will help us to understand the factors that drive atheists and will help us to understand why they believe what they believe and will help us to speak to their hearts instead of their heads. 
if you're ever in an argument with an atheist and you're trying to convince them using logic, you will quickly realize that that doesn't work. So hopefully what we will what we will uncover in this show today will give you insight into the real reason they reject God and how to speak to their hearts. Well, first let me explain a little bit about what I meant by the attachment theory uh, that we spoke about earlier on today. There has been a link between the attachment theory and belief in God. So the attachment theory, in a nutshell, explains that the kind of bond that an infant has with its parents will define how the child will form relationships in later life. And this relationship also includes relationship with God. So there are various types of attachment that an infant can form. The first is what is known as secure attachment. This is where a child had responsive parents, parents that was there to meet the child's emotional and physical needs. 65% of people are said to be from families in which there are secure attachment. Then there is insecure avoidant attachment. And when a person has an insecure avoidant attachment, these people in later relationships in life end up feeling insecure, they are fearful of abandonment, and they avoid or withdrawn from relationship because of fear of abandonment or neglect. In other words, the abandonment and neglect that they suffered during their childhood has conditioned the way that they react to others later on in their lives. And, then, and about 20% of people will fall in this category of avoidant, insecure avoidant attachment. And then there is the next category, which accounts for about 15% of people, which is the insecure ambivalent attachment. And people who have had ambivalent attachment to parents, that, that is parents who were sometimes there, but sometimes not there, sometimes met their needs, but at other times failed to meet the child's emotional and physical needs. These people will seek out relationship, but exhibits anxiety towards their partners. They may act clingy or controlling to avoid attachment. And the next 5% is what we call uh, disorganized attachment. And this accounts for just 5% of the population. And these people have confusion around relationship. They are inconsistent in their behavior and have a hard time trusting others. They also tend to act in inconsistent manner. And they, they have unexplainable ways in in their attempt to protect themselves from rejection. So in, in other words, they will act in bizarre ways to try to protect themselves from rejection. For example, they might bombard you with texts and, and calls one after another and then completely disappear once you start showing them attention. So this is disorganized attachment. 
So it's not surprising that psychologists are saying that these childhood experiences will determine relationships later on in life. As a matter of fact, the Bible had already made that clear because in Proverbs 22, verse 6, the Bible states, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, the proverb, the, 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 this verse in Proverbs is telling us that experiences during childhood have lifelong effects. And when we think about training up a child, we may have this image in our minds where we sit the child down and we say, well, let me tell you about who God is. God is omniscient. He's loving. He's caring. But we, we often fail to realize that we train children about God by how we live our lives, by how we demonstrate love, by how we care for them, by how we we show that our relationship with God is important. And so children who have had negative experiences around religion growing up as as a child, it's not surprising that when they grow old, they will act in ways that are against religion. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. A researcher by the name of Kirkpatrick researched attachment style and religiousness. And what he finds is backed up also by other studies. He found that secure people, people who have secure attachment to their parents, are more likely than avoidant to, to view God as loving and less distant or less inaccessible. So in other words, if you have secure attachment to your parents, you're more, you're more likely to view God as loving and to see God as accessible. Avoidant people, the studies show, are less religious and more likely to be atheists or agnostics. Other studies by Freud and other psychologists have also uh, proposed the theory that a child's relationship with their earthly father influenced the child's understanding of God. It is not far-fetched, therefore, to suspect that prominent atheists who are passionately against God may have had fathers who abandoned or was in other ways a toxic influence in their lives. This hypothesis is powerfully supported by Paul Witz in his book, Faith of the Fatherless, and we draw on that book in much of what we present here today. As we examine the lives of atheists, we, we should bear in mind that, one, the death of a parent during a person's childhood can be perceived as abandonment by a young child too young to understand the concept of death. So we will see in the lives of some of these atheists that they had the death of their fathers very earlier on in their lives. So let us start with Frederick Nietzsche. And Nietzsche was, is famous, he's probably the most famous of all atheists. 
and he, he, he writes against Christianity, and he's best known for his statement, God is dead. And what many of us don't know about Frederick Nietzsche is that Nietzsche was the son of a Lutheran pastor. He had a close relationship with his father, but his father became sick when Nietzsche was around four years old from a terrible brain disease, a disease that caused him to often go into, into convulsion. And Nietzsche, as a young child, saw his father as weak and sickly. And eventually, Nietzsche's father died as a result of the, the brain disease when he was around five years old. And he and Nishi grew up in a household of religious women with no male figure and came to see Christianity as a religion for women and a symbol of weakness. But Nishi also had a very another terrible uh, experience as a child. And I, I see this as a kind of trauma. So Nishi told of a dream, a prophetic dream that he had after it, his father died. And I'm just going to quote here uh, as, I, as I read this dream, because I think it's important for us to capture the sense in which this could have affected him in a tremendous way. Quote, in the dream, I heard the church organ playing as at the funeral. When I looked to see what was going on, a grave opened to, sud to suddenly, and my father arose out of it in a shroud. He hurried into the church and soon came back with a small child in his arms. The mound on the grave reopens. He climbs back in, and the gravestone sinks back over the opening. The swelling noise of the organs stops at once, and I wake up. In the morning, I tell the dream to my dear mother. Soon after that, little Joseph, his brother, is suddenly taken ill. He goes into convulsions and dies within a few hours. So this is a very traumatic event. Not only did his father die, but he had this dream of his father coming out of the a grave and taking a little boy back into the grave. And a few days later, his little brother, Joseph, died. What must this have done to Nietzsche's belief in God? His belief in a caring God? His belief in a loving father, if in this, in this very vivid dream, his dad is the one who took the life of his little brother. So we see that there, there is trauma. There was the death of his father, but there was also the death of his little brother. So when it came to God, Nishi was firmly against God, against religion in general. And he saw the Christian God in particular as being a weak God. This is not surprising because his father was made weak from a brain disease. His memory of his father was of this sickly man, a Lutheran pastor who was weak 
and very sickly. And Nietzsche, in his search for religion and meaning earlier on in his life, favored the strong pagan god Dionysius. And to Nietzsche, the Christian god is dead. This is not surprising, because his father had died, had passed away at a very young age. Michael will be right back. You have been listening to the Life Transformation Show, where award-winning psychotherapist Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services has been speaking on a very interesting topic, understanding atheists, the real reason they reject God. You can find out more about us at elimcounselingministry.com or by calling 1-877-204-2914, where you can also make a donation to this Christ-centered ministry. Your donations help us to stay on the air and to provide subsidized counseling to those who can't afford it. Back to Michael. So let's turn to the second person in our study, and this is none other than the famous Bertrand Russell. He was one of the most prominent English atheists. In Russell's case, his mother died when he was very young, and his father, who held anti-religious views, died when Russell was four years old. I think his mother died when he was two, and his father died when he was four years old. He was cared for by his grandparents. His grandfather, who was aloof, he took care of Russell for a while, but then became very aloof and distant. And he died when Bertrand Russell was six years old. After that, he was raised by his grandmother who practiced her faith in such a way that it was described, quote, as a mournful Christian humility. In other words, the kind of demonstration of a faith that Bertrand, Bertrand Russell is seeing around him is one that is not attractive, is one that is mournful. And so Russell's experience of Christianity at the hands of his grandmother, according to his daughter Catherine, she wrote that this morbid brand of Christianity was the only form of Christianity that Bertrand Russell knew. And according to his daughter, he mocked Christians for believing that man is important in the vast scheme of the universe. Can you blame this man for having such a view based on his experiences in, in life? He lost his mother at two, his father at four, his grandfather at six, and then he lived in a household in which Christianity was mournful and morbid. It is no surprising, therefore, that, that Bertrand Russell turned against the Christian God. The third person I would like to speak about today, the third atheist, is Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud, his father, was not a good role model as a father. He couldn't support his family, and Freud's father relied on support from his in-laws and others. Freud also saw his father as being weak, 
Freud tells of an experience where his father, a Jew, a man, hit his father, hat off his head, his head and called him a dirty Jew. And his father barely responded. So he saw his dad, this, this uh, person of faith, as being, as being a weak person. And later on, he described his father as a sexual pervert who molested his children. So it's no wonder that the theories that Freud put forward was so heavily uh, centered around sex and the rivalry in the family between the father and the son fighting for the love of the mother and the jealousy of the son towards the father. He grew up in a household where his father was a sexual pervert. But Freud's father also professed a faith belief. As a Jew, he read the Talmud and he spent hours studying the Jewish scripture with his son. So let's, let's uh, think about that for a moment. So Freud's frame of reference for God was from a father who didn't provide, who, who we saw as passive and weak, and who molested his children. Religion for Freud was one that came out of a bad experience. So it's no wonder that Freud believed that religion was a psychological neurosis and that people uh, believed in God because they were weak people. At various points in his writing, we see that Freud spoke negatively of people. But let us turn now to a more modern-day atheist, and one of the most well-known modern-day atheists, which is Richard Dawkins. So Dawkins is a fervent critic of all religion, especially Christianity. He is a former professor of evolutionary biology at Oxford University, and the author of the best-selling book, The God Delusion, and also the book, The Blind Watchmaker. So what many of us don't know about him is about his childhood. He was born in Kenya to English parents. After being rooted from Kenya and moving back to a life in England, he was sent off to boarding school immediately by his parents. So he separated, he's in a new culture, he's separated from his parents, and he's in this strange boarding school. So Dawkins reports that in this boarding school at nine years old that he was sexually abused by a Latin master, a teacher who was responsible for teaching him Latin. So this Latin master, a member of the Anglican church, sexually molested Richard Dawkins. And it, it appeared that this sexual abuse traumatized him. At the boarding school, it is said that the housemaster warned the school administrators that forcing him to attend the chapel was doing him, quote, positive harm. And so this is a young man, nine years old, in a new country, separated from his, his parents, uh, in a boarding school that's supposed to be a, a uh, a Christian boarding school, and he's been sexually abused. So long before uh, he became a famous atheist, 
long before studying the evolutionary theory, long before entering into debates against Christianity, Richard Dawkins had a strong emotional revulsion to the Christian faith, a revulsion that may have started with his absent parents and fueled by his sexual abuse at the, ha- at the hands of a pedophilic teacher who professed Christianity. So it's no surprise then that because of his emotional wounds, he turned against God. And lastly, today I would like to look at the life of H.G. Wells, an English writer and social philosopher. His father lost his job. He failed at business. He made little money uh, playing professional cricket. And even though he was starving his family of attention playing professional cricket. This led to hostility within his marriage. And we are told that his wife and his fa- that H.G. Wells' father and his mother became emotionally estranged from each other. Two years before Wells was born to, his family suffered trauma because his, his, his sister, Francine, age nine, died of appendicitis, and yet his father continued to be emotionally distant and unsupportive to his grieving wife, going off to play cricket even though his family needed him. So, Wells writes sarcastically that his mother's prayers to God to make his father better was like unsuccessfully trying to retrieve money from a a debtor who had long disappeared. So, here we have H.G. Wells having tragedy surrounding his birth. He was born into a grieving family. He had an absent father. He had a mother who was praying to God to change her husband, but the husband continues to be distant. So Wells, in his later writing, hated God, and he compared God to his absent father. And this is just a quotation from one of his writings. Our Father and our Lord and whom to begin with she had perhaps counted on unduly were also far away, playing perhaps at their own sort of cricket in some remote quarter of the starry universe. So here we have Wells saying that God is like his father, distant away in some part of the galaxy, playing his own form of cricket. So we see from the lives of all of these men that they're all hurting men. They're all men with psychological wound that caused them to view Uh, Christianity and religion in negative ways because they had absent fathers and they had negative experiences of Christianity or religion in general. So when you're speaking with atheists in your own life as a believer today, it's important not to speak in terms of trying to convince them logically. You need to get to the wound that they're carrying. You need to look at the hurt that these people have. And if you can speak the emotional language where you speak to their hearts with, with their heart with love and where you can help them to begin to work through the pain in their lives, I think you are better off getting to them than by trying to convince them with facts. And so, as we wrap up this show for today, if you have any questions about this or other show, 
please be reminded that you can contact us at our website at elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. We, are, we offer professional services and we have over 300 podcasts such as this one on our YouTube channel. We are also a non-for-profit organization, so please consider making a donation to us if you haven't done so as yet. So until next time, this is your host, Michael Hart of Elam Counseling Services, praying that God would bless you in all your relationships and to keep you sound in mind and pure in heart. Thank you.